0: History on Instagram. I want to talk about something that I found called The Peacemaker. It was written by Joseph Smith. That's obvious. It reeks and screams of Joseph Smith's writing. He denies it later when he gets in trouble in 1842 for letting someone use his printing press, his church press, to print it. But it's just like his later revelation. And Smith has a history of doing this where he condemns something after he's pushed it. The end even says in the last paragraph, even though it says the author's name, don't wonder who the author is. Don't ask and look around for him just accept this as God's law. It's Smith. Everybody knew that. There's a lot of accounts of people, including John Taylor, admitting that people claimed it was Smith and that he just had to declare it bad because people lost their shit about it because it was advocating polygamy. Said that women could not leave their husbands. They didn't have the right to. That if they committed adultery, they should be stoned. That women had no rights and they compare them to slaves that have no rights. That A woman should be happy to enter polygamy because it will turn her attention to her husband, and she'll fight for his attention and affection, and that this is God's law. It's Smith. It's terrifying that he is writing about what is called a narcissistic triangle, and men who have this disorder will purposely bring in a lover to the house, even if it's just one, or flaunt it in front of the wife because they get pleasure out of the cruelty and causing pain, and they will pit the women against each other. LDS people like to claim that they married sisters because sisters got along. That's bullshit. In 2012, I reported my own abuse, and after telling the detective some things like after my grandfather introduced me into the little sex predator club um, at four years old my older sister who was my best friend before that I used to play with her every day started breaking mirrors over my head and I said that she acted like a psychotic wife who treated me like I was some mistress or something and by seven I wanted to tell and I said that she would tell with me but she said no and I hated her after that so when I started having flashbacks in 2012 I forgot my whole childhood All of it and I was diagnosed with dissociative amnesia and one of the things I remembered after I started having flashbacks and my whole childhood started coming back into my brain was why I hated my sister. I hated her for so long. 18 years I hated my sister and I didn't know why. We had to go to separate schools. I couldn't sit next to her at dinner. I didn't want her talking to me and I just had this weird rage but I couldn't remember why I hated her so much and so I just hated myself. I wondered Like, what's my problem? Why? I can't stand her. I don't want to be around her. This is what narcissistic triangle do to people. They are used to cause pain and they destroy relationships. Malignant narcissists and people like that, they have to have adoration and blind obedience. This is the thing that they crave the most. So they pit each other against each other so that people are literally fighting for their company. And that's what Joseph Smith was talking about. And the detective told me after my interview that, That this is extremely common in situations where sisters are being abused by the same person. There's no love. I knew someone who was dating someone who was a son of a polygamist. The polygamist had three sisters for wives. First time that he went over to have a barbecue, the sons got in a fight. One cousin, half-brother with another, and the siblings broke up and they came back out with baseball bats. It's not a loving situation. What's also scary about the Peacemaker is Utah set up this exact theme. Women were not free. This is why they were called in bondage. They were not allowed to get a divorce unless they had permission from the priesthood. They didn't get to choose who they married. didn't matter if they fell in love with someone. This is something else that is reflected in Joseph Smith in D&C 132. He says that he can have virgins to multiply the earth and Emma has to help groom. However, he also says the only man who has the power to give other women away is one person and that is Joseph Smith. He is literally now claiming that God says he alone has the power to allow and swap women and allow people to get married. He's completely controlling their lives. I didn't know when I made the podcast about thinking Smith was a malignant narcissist that a Mormon had already written a book about how he was in 1999. The terrifying thing about malignant narcissists and their sexual schemes is they will get worse with time especially as they get more power they will set up sex rings and see women and children as exploitable and they will set these cult sex rings up they all say it's done in god's name all of their victims eventually say that they could feel the spirit that god told them He was a man of God. Malignant Narcissus believes that he is special, that he is put here for a divine mission, that he's above all others. They like to think that they're kings. Smith had himself declared king by the Council of Fifty. There was one in history, there was a different book I was reading, where they actually compare him, the historical figure, to Joseph Smith. They have the same background. They started conning people for treasure. They then moved on to religion. They claimed the exact same things. And so they were comparing one malignant narcissist to Joseph Smith. Malignant narcissists, they enjoy demeaning and dehumanizing people. They get power out of it. And they have a sadistic side, which makes them more dangerous than someone just with narcissistic personality disorder. They're actually considered the most evil people in the world. Psychologists will tell people, if you are married to one, you should run away. They have zero ability to reflect or feel bad. So they will promise things like Joseph did with Emma's father. I promise I'll stop conning people. I will stop the Book of Mormon. I'll get a job. Then he's living there for free, but he doesn't do any of the things he promises. They're predators for life. They constantly are looking for their next victim to defraud and exploit. When they fail at something, they come out with a murderous rage, and it's this feeling that They have built an image and they live that image if they have no idea who they really are. And so when they failed at something, even seduction, they take it as a personal thing and they will respond with violence and aggression. When Joseph Smith lost his bank and he defrauded all of his members, he fled. And within a year, he had an insurrection where he burnt down two towns, robbed the county treasury, and then kicked out at gunpoint at midnight over a hundred christians from their homes before robbing and plundering them and then burning them down but that is a very malignant narcissistic thing to do they cannot ever let something go and they are always victims and they are always persecuted and they will have this vengeance and sadisticness to them when it comes to sexual schemes they just become more aggressive they back off for a little bit but then they come back and it's interesting that mormon authors have admitted that the woman knew she didn't have a right to say no. She was already Joseph's possession. They also have this vengeance streak, and Joseph always had zero empathy for his victims. He didn't care or ever say sorry about defrauding Mormons in Kirtland. He never cared or said sorry about Missouri. In fact, he was ranting forever about trying to get revenge against Missouri. He even delusionally wrote the Green Mountain Boys, asking them to attack Missouri, not specific people, but the entire state. They get pleasure out of corrupting people sexually, and they project everything. In their youth, they will project things symbolically, which we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon in a minute and all the projections that he's showing at the age of 22, 23 when he's writing it. They're really terrible at not being able to accept no. They will scheme and get whatever they want. They have a likelihood of using religion, if they are in religion, as a cover for sex crimes, and they're always projecting their victim mentality. They are switching back and forth between, I'm a victim all the time, to this narcissistic terrifying rage. They often kill people. We know that Joseph Smith had murderers for the church, Porter Rockwell and others. They are cunning and they do whatever they have to to get out of trouble. They also are chaotic and wherever they go, chaos and destruction happens, but they always have excuses and blame others for that. They're relationship destroyers. Joseph Smith never had any real friends besides his family. And really, he destroyed his own family. He ruined the marriage of his sister in Kirtland. Her husband had to flee after he attacked him. He tried to seduce his sister Lucy. She had to flee. He tried to sleep with William's wife, and William freaked out. William also fought him quite a few times. And then Don Carlos suddenly died after he said that he thought that Hiram and Joseph were evil for teaching polygamy. And then how did Joseph respond? He started sleeping with... Don Carlos' wife. So even in the family, he had fractured, broken relationships. The only reason that he and Hiram got along is because the malignant narcissist needs complete obedience. And Hiram was his little obedient sidekick. He was in on every scheme and he always stood by Joseph. The moment that a malignant narcissist is questioned, he loses his shit. The best friend or family member goes from a good person, a.k.a. Saint, to an enemy. He destroyed every friendship and relationship, and actually he destroyed everybody he ever used to get what he wanted. He threw the Whitmers and Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris under the bus. They think they're superior and above all laws. Joseph Smith in 1838 said that they would no longer respect any warrants, and if anyone came to arrest them, he would have a war, and they would take it all the way to that sheriff or marshal's house, and that they would go inside and even kill their family. There is zero equality, especially for women. Women are so far beneath them in their minds. And there's not any equality for their members either. Like, for example, it says there's no equality with the one malignant narcissist who thinks he's a genius, a guru, a leader, a psychic, a prophet. Joseph thought he was all those things. He said he could do mathematical equations better than professors. They are predators who hunt. They can be gold diggers, adulterers. They are always on a con, though always. But they have a very charismatic side, which is why people follow them. It's also why so many Mormons, when they hear accounts of Joseph Smith's sex crimes or terrible things, they can't believe he did it. Partly because the church lies about him, but partly also because he was a malignant narcissist. So he knew how to charm and he knew how to get what he wanted. These types of men will exploit any age, young or old sexually, or for money, anything they want. They do something called projection identification. Instead of denying something, they'll throw it back on someone else. This is what happened with Martha Botherton and Nancy Rigdon. First, he denied both. But um, when he was caught with the letter that he wrote to Nancy Rigdon, he claimed that he had to do it because it was actually a test. First off, malignant narcissists are always testing Loyalty. And second, he was saying, I wanted to test her virtue, so I was trying to sleep with her nonstop. Martha Botherton, there's another man who said that Joseph actually wanted her to sleep with Brigham Young and him, and that he asked about it, and that Smith didn't deny it, that they had locked her in a room. And tried to groom her for sex. But his excuse was, she made me do it. And I believe that account probably is true because he did this with Nancy Johnson. He first ordered her to start sleeping with Apostle Richards. She became his prostitute for the church. And then by the spring, he was sleeping with her himself. There is something called reaction formation. So what happens to the malignant narcissist is their mind splits and they see either good or evil. They There is no middle ground in their mind. And Joseph did that too. Even in his Book of Mormon, it's either the whore, Isabel, or it is the saint. He did that with his members. You're an apostate or you don't believe me. You're wicked. You are evil. You have no value or you're a saint because you obey me. They have something called the undoing they don't feel guilt at all but the closest thing you will ever get to an apology they do something symbolically like in the book of mormon when he constantly is bringing up during a time when he is seducing emma's friend while writing it about being forgiven for sins and temptation and sex they project everything they project their really evil scary nature if they do write or tell stories into their stories hence all of his violence about sex and rape in the book of mormon It's coming out symbolically. They're really immune to prosecution because they're so manipulative. They can switch things around. These people can never have a stable marital relationship. They will never devote most of their time or focus to family. They will abandon family at the drop of the hat. Joseph Smith did that repeatedly, abandoning his kids. Even in the history of the church, he doesn't talk about his family. The only time he's talking about Emma is if it's some self-serving, pleasing thing that boosts his ego or when he's yelling at her and making her cry, which also boosts his ego because malignant narcissists love to rage. He, in Nauvoo, was said to use the grove. They didn't have churches. Why? Because that's too simple for Joseph. He needed glory, so he had temples. And the grove was where their so-called church was, But the Grove was nothing more than political speeches where he would scream and rant and rave. Hitler did that too. He was also a malignant narcissist. So they use these victims for their sexual gratification. And they are morally inconsistent or they have no morals at all. But they always have a flip side. It's the image side that they're projecting. So he's pretending to be a good prophet. Meanwhile, he is abusing and creating a little sex club. There were only 100 men that were part of his sex club AKA polygamy in Nauvoo when he died. It was top secret. He denied it until the day he died. The whole thing was illegal, and he knew that if he got caught, he was looking at life in prison. So, these people also are known to have high sexual aggression. They have the entitlement. A lot of these people do not believe that rape is rape, hence, his Book of Mormon story about 24 women who get raped and. They love their husbands so much that when their parents try to save them after they've been abducted and raped, they end up fighting their parents off. So apparently, if you got abducted and raped, you're supposed to fight off your parents. Well, that comes up in The Peacemaker as well. He says it's not bad if someone rapes someone, as long as they make them their concubine, they respond to any denial or no as rejection, and they become very aggressive and will scheme, and there is no no for them. They will find a way to get what they want. All of their victims, they will manipulate and coerce until they get what they want. And because they have low empathy and high hostility and high amounts of exploitation, they are going to end up forcing the person, but they usually use manipulation. They don't actually see it, though, as rape. So, for example, when some people like this have been interviewed in prison they'll say things like i gave all these women my number i don't know why they didn't call me back he's in prison for raping them but he still doesn't understand that it's rape they think it's an honor because they think themselves like gods hence joseph smith saying that man can become a god they believe that they are gods and they believe that it's an honor for someone to have his dick inside of her so i will say most malignant narcissists although they believe that they are on par with god They are not so open about their inner thoughts as Joseph. Joseph just straight up was like, yeah, I'm putting myself equal to God, and all of you, just shut up, obey me, and you could become a God too. They have a hostile attitude towards women. They will charm and love bomb in the beginning to get what they want, but then they are cold and so cruel. They emotionally cannot feel anything for their victims. They don't have the ability to. So they don't even see, let alone think about the pain they cause. They believe in things like it's better to get rid of people if they're going to destroy their image. Joseph Smith said that it was better for one man to suffer and die than to have the church, a.k.a. himself, destroyed. The ones that are the most dangerous, though, are like Smith. They end up grooming not only the church, which he did, and I'll talk about texts that he started to put out there that clearly are slow grooming grooming involves desensitization, which that is when you start to try and get people to slowly break down the barriers of what is moral and what is not. and there's also a physical desensitization with their victims. But a man like this is constantly grooming. The peacemaker is a grooming text, DNC with 132, which was secretive and not known to the public or most Mormons. It was a grooming text. There are other things I'll talk about to show how every now and then he's testing the waters by throwing something out and kind of pushing and prepping them so that one day he can add it to the church. First, a man like this is going to groom society. He's going to groom their friends, their family, and then he's going to groom his victims. And he, in a lot of his texts, including the Peacemaker, that is an attempt to desensitize the public so that if he gets caught, he can come up with something. DNC 132, for example, which way after his death, they finally pulled that out. Joseph Fielding Smith, his nephew, admitted that was never supposed to be in the scriptures And it was one of the many revelations we didn't really want out there. And if we could go back and do it differently, we wouldn't put it in there. So these types of people will take someone's virginity because they can then use it as blackmail. So this is what he would encourage his club to do. He insisted when his secretary, William Clayton, said, Hey, my concubine got pregnant and her 14-year-old sister's telling everybody. She says she's going to tell everybody. Joseph Smith's response was, Just go sleep with her too. Then she can't talk. So Clayton wrote about it in his diary. He did. And then he celebrated years later when his little fourteen year old, not fourteen anymore, but his little concubine gave birth to a child for him. He celebrated by writing Come Come Ye Saints, Predator Sex Club song that all Mormons sing at church. So these people set up a little club and then they have what they call a narcissistic supply. It doesn't have to be sexual. But he uses as objects to get what they want. And a malignant narcissist always has to have a narcissistic supply. So he started it with treasure digging, defrauding all these people. And then he moved on and started doing it with his members. And then he moved on and started doing it sexually. These types of people also commit incest a lot because they see themselves as godlike. And incest to people like this is the closest thing that they can have to screwing their self. An incestuous person like this believes it's his right to have sex they disregard sexual taboos and norms and see it as justified and acceptable they think they're so godlike who wouldn't want to as i said sleep with them they also sometimes get a rush from violating as i said they get a rush from corrupting and forcing people to submit because that is what malignant narcissist loves the most forcing people to submit to his will. These people often will put themselves in a adopted father position, a pseudo parent position, partly because it's easier to manipulate victims when you have them in your house. The grooming process goes faster, but also partly because again, this is a narcissistic thing. They see people, their family as extensions of their self. And so They're obsessed with their self to a point where they'll even try to get in-laws to be an extended part of the narcissist. And then they're trying to merge that identity in their mind. They're now me. This is why he would adopt people, girls, who sometimes their parents weren't even dead. But he would go and ask them if he could adopt them. Fanny Algar is one. It's also why he started calling Eliza Snow. He had his own children calling her aunt. That's because it's an adoption into the incestuous mindset it is why he is advocating and pushing things in nauvoo the mormons want people to think that the incest wasn't incest but joseph smith was already committing incest the moment that he started using sisters and sisters mothers and daughters and also when he started chasing after his own sister-in-laws these are all considered incest at the time in the United States, according to their laws. An example in 1840, they're talking about even using scripture law in this article about what constitutes incest. A man may not marry his grandmother, grandfather's wife, wife's grandmother, mother, stepmother, or wife's mother, aunt, uncle's wife, or wife's aunt, daughter, son's wife, or stepdaughter, granddaughter, grandson's wife, or wife's granddaughter, his niece his nephew's wife, or his wife's niece, his sister, his brother's wife, or his wife's sister. So Joseph knew those things. These are laws in the United States. So he was already committing incest. So he was trying very much to incestuously add people into his harem. It's also why he began the adoption scheme with men. The whole idea of being sealed into heaven forever to a man is that you are going to be his property forever even in heaven and that is in narcissistic extension it for all eternity and so he would do it even with men they didn't do that i don't think after brigham young but they did do that in the early church these types of people will see anyone who they think of competition as a threat to their narcissistic supply and they will instantly think they're enemies even their own siblings this is why after joseph and william kept fighting physically attacking each other publicly in kirtland joseph has a habit of sending him away all the time on a mission and then he tried to seduce William's wife Joseph Jackson was a friend of his he wrote an expose in that expose he talked about how Joseph was also trying to seduce Hiram's 16 year old Lavina and that's Hiram's daughter and that Joseph convinced Hiram to do it because Hiram was attracted to one of his Smith's concubines and Joseph said he would trade her that's a reoccurring theme that comes up that we're going to talk about I'm going to talk about a lot of things you probably have not ever heard about joseph smith but joseph jackson he focused mostly on the murders and the schemes that joseph was ordering but he did drop in also that lucy his little sister who was like 16 years younger than him he had tried to sleep with her too and she had refused and she got mad wrote a letter to her brother william and said he was trying to sleep with lavina he tried to sleep with me and in 1842 william came back exploding in rage because apparently Smith had tried to also seduce William's wife while he was gone. Lucy Smith told her niece, Lavina, to avoid Joseph Smith's house, to not go see her grandmother there anymore, and to treat it as if it were a common brothel, and to stay away. And then she left to go to Maine for the summer to get away from her brother. William had made a comment to Joseph Jackson that he wrote, and that was that he wasn't worried about Lucy because she had been outsmarting him and his schemes her whole life, which sounds as if Joseph had actually been violating boundaries in the past. And why wouldn't he? He's already enjoying the violation of incest laws. He's not just violating laws on polygamy. These are all violations of incest laws too. Almost all of these women are violations of incest laws. He likes being above the law. He likes breaking people and making them come down to his will and submit. For the malignant narcissist, it's a never-ending cycle of exploitation, getting their needs met, and then leaving destruction and pain and broken families in their path, broken people. And they enjoy breaking up and disrupting families. Think about how many times Joseph Smith ordered someone after the wife would die, you need to go away on a mission, like Lucy Walker's dad. They already lost their mother. Now they're losing their father. He doesn't care. And then the children get divided and separated and put in other Mormon homes. He has no empathy. He has zero empathy for how much trauma he's inflicting on his people. These people eventually will set up rituals for their sexual clubs, and it's partly because they like a reminder of their trophies. So they'll see every time that they're doing it with a new victim, and it will remind them of all the other victims that have gone through that ceremony, hence the little celestial marriage ceremony in Nauvoo. For example, my grandmother always had to pull out white, fresh sheets for a pull-out bed even though there were other beds when we would go there that were available and then he would choose one of us and abuse us in a different room in a bed and whenever we would go there with my parents we would sleep on that pull-out bed because my parents would be sleeping in the bed where we would get abused and i know that my grandfather got pleasure out of the idea that my dad who had no idea what was happening was sleeping in the very bed that we were getting raped in the Rituals are set up because every time he sees it happening or sees somebody doing something similar or close to the ritual, it's a power game for him. They get pleasure out of it. They also try to legitimize the abuse through the ritual by saying exactly what he said. This is ordered by God. See, here we go. This is how it's done. But it's just an attempt to legitimize it further. They will use sex with other members by getting other members involved to groom for him, which Joseph Smith does from the beginning. And that's a way of control. They use sex as a control. So Joseph Smith had himself the malignant narcissist. He had his little inner group of the sexual club, and then he had the control over his third group, the members. They will also do something called a narcissistic dog whistle. Dog whistles are invisible to the human ear. So when they talk about this, what they're talking about is that they have already groomed someone and done something with someone. And then they use like double messages, which Mormon authors admit that he does this a lot in his speeches. I knew he was doing this when I was a kid and that Brigham Young did it too. I didn't know what the double message was, but I knew they were doing it because my grandfather would do this. And what happens is you are getting a reminder in front of other people about something sexual that he's done to you. And it's a power trip for them. They're so smart, smarter than everybody, so smart that they can actually sit there and say something in a little coded message in front of all these people and nobody but him and the victims know what he's talking about. Joseph Smith did this. So every time Joseph Smith is dropping words, to his members about keys to the kingdom or the washings, anointings, things like this, new things that are coming out. He's not just grooming them for the next information or so that if someone finds out, he can go to them and say, look, you know how I've been talking about these things? Well, I'm going to explain to you the real meaning. They're already half prepped for his grooming and so it's easier for them to swallow but it's also because it's a narcissistic dog whistle and he gets pleasure out of dropping words that remind him of his sexual conquest and they don't care with the dog whistle if you are perking up and getting like pleasure out of it like before when I was little it was like oh I'm special he's talking about me but then by the time I was like eight I would be depressed and I was suicidal by the time I was like 11 they don't care because the dog whistle gives them pleasure either way whether it's making you happy or whether you want to kill yourself it is a message in front of other people he's so smart he's outsmarting everybody but it's also a reclaiming in front of other people you're my property they also do this for a warning to people and as i talk you'll see how many times joseph says i had a prophecy if you don't obey the church you're going to die and then conveniently the person leaves doesn't obey and he just happens to die that's called a narcissistic dog whistle and it's used as a threat a veiled threat that that person will understand. Joseph writes about these things in the history of the church. He writes about these things in his own writings, and that's because he is such a narcissistic person that he believes he is smarter than everybody, even people who will read his own words 100 years later. To help us understand the mindset of someone who has this disorder, this person, I'm going to quote, he doesn't actually have malignant narcissism. But he does have narcissistic personality disorder. And he wrote a book. He studied narcissistic personality disorder for a very long time. And so he wrote something. But keep in mind, Joseph Smith isn't like this narcissist because this one isn't a malignant narcissist. Therefore, he has the ability to reflect. A malignant narcissist does not. Joseph Smith with time would have gotten worse than this. Because they start out young, and then the traits start kicking in when they are in their adolescence. They usually start doing things like Smith did, stealing things. People said that Smith was stealing chickens from them and sheep. And then he's treasure digging and conning people out of money, not caring about how much money he takes from them and leaves them destitute. Abner Cole was said to be... The first anti-Mormon. Well, Abner Cole, Mormon historians have identified him as one of the victims of his treasure digging plots. And he went broke because of it. So, I'm going to read this to you. It starts out like asking, do you know who I am? Do you recognize me? He says that, I built you up when you were down. I employed you when you needed a job. Showed you the way when you were lost. Offered confidence when you were doubting. Made you laugh. I listened to you. Saw you for what you really are. Felt your pain and made you want to be alive again. Of course you recognize me. I'm your inspiration, your role model, your savior, your leader, your best friend, the one you aspire to emulate, the one whose favor makes you glow. But I can also be your worst nightmare. First, I build you up because that's what you need. Then out of the blue, I start tearing you down. You let me do it because that's what you are used to. You are dumbfounded. But I was wrong to take pity on you. You really are incompetent, untrustworthy, disrespectful, immoral, ignorant, inept, egotistical, constrained, disgusting. You are a social embarrassment, an unappreciated partner, an inadequate parent a disappointment, a sexual flop, a financial liability. I tell this to your face, I must. It is my right, because it is. I behave at home in a way, in any way I want to, with total disregard for conventions, mores, or the feelings of others. It is my right, because it is. I lie to your face without a twitch or twitter, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. In fact, my lies are not lies at all. They are the truth, my truth, and you believe them, because you do, because they do not sound or feel like lies, because to do so otherwise would make you question your own sanity, Which you have a tendency to do anyway, because from the very beginning of our relationship, you placed your trust, your hopes in me, derived your energy, direction, stability, and confidence from me, and from your association with me. So what's the problem if the safe haven I provide comes with a price? Surely I am worth it, and then some. Run to your friends. Go. See what you will get. Ridicule. People believe what they see, and what they see is the same wonderful me that you also saw and still do. What they also see is the very mixed-up person that you have obviously become. The more you plead for understanding, the more convinced they are that you are crazy, that the crazy one is you. The more isolated you feel, and the harder you try to make things right again by not changing me, by accepting my criticisms, and by striving to improve yourself. Could it be that you were wrong about me in the beginning? How do you think our friends will react if you insist that they are all also wrong about me? After all, they know that it is really you who have thwarted my progress, tainted my reputation, and thrown me off course. I disappoint you, outrageous. You are the one who have disappointed me. Look at all the frustrations you caused me. Lucky for you, I have an escape from all this. Unfortunately, my reputation provides insulation from the outside world so I can indulge in this escape with impunity. What escape? Why, those eruptions of rage, dread, and fear. Oh, it feels so good to rage. It is an expression of and the confirmation of my power over you, my absolute superiority. Lying feels good, too. For the same reason, but nothing compares to the pleasure of exploding for no material reason and venting my anger with total abandon at the same time a spectator at my own show and at your helplessness, pain, fear, frustration, independence. In fact, my raging is precisely what allows me to stay with you. Go ahead, tell our friends about it, see if they can imagine what it's like, let alone believe it. The more outrageous the things you say about me, the more convinced they are that it is you who have taken a turn for the worst. After all, it was you who came for help. Who knows, you might even inquire some of my behavior yourself. But you know what? This may come as a shock, but I can also be my worst nightmare. I can and I am. You see, at heart, my life is nothing more than illusion-clad confusion. I have no idea why I do what I do, nor do I care to find out. In fact, the mere notion of asking the question is so repulsive to me that I employ all of my resources to repel it. I construct facts, fabricate illusions, act them out, and thus create my own reality. It is a precarious state of existence indeed, so I am careful to include enough demonstrable truth in my illusions to ensure their credibility. And I am forever testing that credibility on you and the reactions of others. Fortunately, my real ambitions, attributes, and accomplishments are in sufficient abundance to fuel my illusions seemingly forever. A modern society, blessed, cursed modern society, values most what I do best and thus serves as my accomplice. Even I get lost in my own illusions, swept away by my own magic. So not to worry if you still don't recognize me. I don't recognize who I am either. In fact, I'm not really sure who I am. That's probably a question you never ask yourself, but I wonder about it all the time. Perhaps I'm not too different from everyone else, just better. After all, that's the feedback I get. My admirers certainly wish they were me. They just don't have the gifts I have nor the courage I have to express them. That's what the universe is telling me. Then again, the universe or my universe. As long as the magic of my illusions works on me too, there really is no need for distinction. All I need is an abundant fan club to stay on top of it all. So I'm constantly taking fan club inventory, testing the loyalty of present members with challenges of abuse, writing off defectors with total indifference, and scouting the landscape for new recruits. Do you see my dilemma? I use people who are dependent on me to keep my illusions alive. So really, it is I who am dependent on them. Even the rage, that orgasmic release of pain and anger, works better with an audience. On some level, I am aware of my illusions, but to admit that would spoil the magic. And that I couldn't bear. So I proclaim that what I do is of no consequence and no different from what others do. And thus, I create an illusion about my creating illusions. So no, I don't recognize me any better than you do. I wouldn't dare. Like my fans, I marvel at my own being. Then again, sometimes I wish that I were not the person I am. You find that confusing? How do you think it makes me feel? I need my own magic to stay afloat. Sometimes others like me recruit me into their magic, but that's okay. As long as we feed off each other, who's the worse for where? It only confirms my illusion about my illusions that I am no different from most people, just a bit better. But I am different and we both know it, although neither of us wants to admit it. And therein lies the root of my hostility. I tear you down because in reality I am envious of you because I am different. At some haunting level, I see my magic for what it is and realize that people around me function just fine without any magic. This terrifies me. Panic-stricken, I try all my old tricks. Displays of my talents, unnecessary deceptions, self-serving distortions, skillful seductions, ludicrous projections, frightening rages, whatever. Normally that works, but if it fails, watch out. Like a solar-powered battery in darkness, my fire goes out and I cease to exist. Destitution sets in. This is the key to understanding me. Most people strive for goals and feel good when they approach them. They move towards something positive. I move in the same direction, but my movement is away from something negative. That's why I never stop am never content, no matter what I achieve. The negative thing seems to follow me like a shadow. I douse myself in... Light, and it fades, but that's all it does. Exhausted, I ultimately succumbed to it again and again. Where did it all come from, this negativity? Probably from before I learned to talk. What you were experiencing through your little mishaps and mistakes were small doses of shame. What you were learning from your quick recoveries was shame repair. At first, your mother did most of the repairing. I had no such luck. I simply did not acquire that skill when nature had intended my brain to acquire it. No one enjoys shame, but most people can deal with it, not me. I fear it the way most people fear snakes. How many others like me are there? More than you might think. And our numbers are increasing. And you might think, he says, it is simply not possible for that many people, highly accomplished, respected, and visible people, to be out there replacing reality with illusions, each in the same way and for reasons they do not know. It is simply not possible for so many shame-phobic robots of havoc and chaos as I describe myself to function daily amidst other educated, intelligent, and experienced individuals and pass for normal. It is simply not possible for such an abbreviation of human cognition and behavior to infiltrate and affect the population in such numbers, virtually undetected. It is simply not possible for so much positive to contain so much concealed negative. It is simply not possible, but it is. So that's by Sam Vagnon. And the reason I think that's interesting is because it does kind of match up with Smith. We've got someone who is showing in his scriptures that he's talking nonstop about sexual things. He's also talking nonstop about being forgiven for sexual crimes. He also is someone who we know love bombs to get women's attention, but then he's extremely cruel. And then we know that Emma in the beginning was freaking out about his affairs. He'd always get caught, lie, say she was a liar and then in Curland she'd get support from people like Oliver Cowdery and then he would admit it was true say he was sorry but like a malignant narcissist he never actually changes and then when oliver Cowdery kept standing by emma he ends up dropping him and having him excommunicated and then as emma continues to try and complain about him we see in the history of the church that he always is talking about the high council met with the high council to talk about the girl business the more that people talk about somebody like this the more insane they look my grandfather for example people who hadn't even met him would talk about how he was the perfect person the perfect mormon family and my response was are you kidding me My mom's family is crazy. These people pretend to be united front, but they are always at war internally with each other. And their children are adults, but they run around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to please their dad. It's psychotic. But I couldn't even finish those words because they'd always cut me off and then tell me what my abuser would tell me, that I was ungrateful, that I was unappreciative, that I didn't know what I was talking about. If you can't even get someone to believe that your abuser's family is toxic, how are you ever going to get them to believe? that he's incestuous and a pedophile. These people have this ability to create an illusion so brilliant that nobody can believe things are true. We know he raged. Like I said, malignant narcissists do that. They feel good doing it. Because they have no ability to release stress the way we normally do, that's how they have their stress release, is through their screaming and their rants and their rages. We know that people who accused him of sexual things that were not believed or they were attacked. Every woman who ever denied Joseph Smith his sexual advances was attacked. Their reputations were destroyed. Women who said no, girls who said no, had their reputations completely destroyed by him in a sex predator club. And that's what the Mormon church wants people to think God demanded because it was so sacred. It had to stay so quiet. That women lost the right to choose yes or no, I want to lose my virginity to you. If you think that Smith wasn't cruel, think about this. Most of these girls that he seduced talk about how sick they were. They were alone. They were isolated. He put them in his house and he watched and groomed them for months and... He saw their misery. These girls all admitted that they were sick, that they didn't want to. They told him no. He didn't take that for an answer. He continued to groom them sexually. Lucy Walker said she wanted to kill herself. What kind of man is the type of man who sees a girl's anguish and sickness and sees that she is mentally declining? A lot of these girls went into severe depressions. They admitted that. And he still never once told any of them, you know what, here's the truth. I say that I need to use your body so I can bring in this celestial marriage thing, but the truth is I've already been screwing other women and telling them the same lie, so you don't have to sleep with me. If celestial marriage was true, then he already enacted it with Louisa Beeman when he did that, which was far before the 1843 revelation. Most of his victims were before then. Malignant well, narcissists always get smarter. They learn how to scheme and scheme and scheme. So keep that in mind as well. The real question about Joseph Smith is what crime didn't he commit? He started his crime career at 14 years old when he was involved with his father in the illegal treasure digging and defrauding people. He was said to have committed theft as a young boy and stealing chickens and sheep. The first person who died, which we can call the narcissistic dog whistle is oliver harper a man he defrauded of about fifty thousand dollars oliver was getting angry he was pulling it out of the con and joseph said that he couldn't find the treasure until somebody had their throat cut and their blood was spilt obviously no treasure digger wanted to do that shortly after this oliver harper was taking his product down river he sold it he came back with a lot of money and he got shot by someone hiding in the trees which is a tactic that the Mormons later use in 1838 to assassinate people. He was already on trial in 1826 for his con man ways, and then again in 1830. He also had some other complaints go before the judge, including with Martin Harris's wife, Lucy, who said the same thing as the treasure digger Stowell's family, that she believed that it was a con to defraud the family of property. So you would think that he wouldn't dare call himself a prophet after that, but he's not just a prophet. Because he's a malignant narcissist, he has to be the best prophet. There were a lot of prophets being born in the Second Great Awakening. He was growing up surrounded by them, many of whom practiced bigamy and polygamy and free love, which was open marriage. But Joseph Smith couldn't just be a prophet. He had to be the only man worthy enough to establish Jesus' church since Jesus died. Therefore, by 1830, he was declaring himself better. Than even jesus's own apostles that's because malignant narcissists are split so he has two sides he has the evil side and he has the i am so great no one in the world is better than me side by kirtland he's already having affairs and joseph's already having sexual allegations against him in 1826 the whole time he's writing the book of mormon there are numerous allegations i'll talk about he then starts to do the pseudo adoption thing and adopt girls he seduces and takes the virginity that is fornication and seduction. Those are violations of the law. He then opens up an illegal bank in Kirtland, and he also establishes hitmen, assassins, For him, he's charged with conspiracy to murder and bank fraud charges. The thing that's interesting about the conspiracy to murder charge is that the man was a Gentile, and all he did was state to the paper what everybody was going to know soon, and that was that he went to a bank to cash in the bills, and they told them that they are as worthless as a piece of paper, that the bank isn't real. There's no charter. It's fraudulent. But anyone trying to cash in those bills would have known that within a week. Or a few days after him saying so. But two apostles testified and admitted that Joseph Smith ordered him killed. If he's willing to kill a man for telling the truth about something that everyone soon is going to find out on their own, what isn't he willing to do? He's already seducing virgin girls in Kirtland, and he's already using seduction and cohesion, and according to Mormons there, he's using religion. He's also at the same time. Not only encouraging bigamy, but he is also seducing and encouraging another woman when he marries her to Newell Knight, a treasure digger, to marry him bigamously even though Smith doesn't have a legal license. Once again, this is nothing more than a stupid piece of paper. And she didn't want to, but he groomed her and coerced her to do it. At the same time, he's viciously attacking and assaulting his own brother, William. His brother-in-law, Calvin Stoddard. Stoddard was so terrified he didn't show up after the first trial. There was enough proof to go forward, but he's so terrified that he flees. He ends up dead soon. Within about a year or two, he's dead. He ends up assaulting a Baptist minister. He assaults anyone who disagrees with him. He runs away and flees his charges because the state needs to extradite people back then, and you need permission from the governor, and that's a long bureaucratic nightmare that usually doesn't happen so he flees and within about six months he is claiming that they don't need to follow the laws of the land if anyone comes with a warrant they'll attack them he has a civil war in the fall and that leads to hans mill his people were murdered not because of their religious beliefs but because of his violence and his violent attacks on others it was a retaliation strike joseph smith responsible for what happened to those people he then bribed a guard and managed to break out basically because he was being transferred for trial and he escaped. So he is a conman on the run, a prisoner who was broken free once again. In 1838, he was charged with arson, murder, robbery, treason against the state of Missouri and more. And he extended his assassin group from a few people in Kirtland to even more assassins, Danites. He goes to Illinois and he only gets worse. He is doing narcissistic dog whistles prophesying certain people will die and they do including the attempted murder of the Governor Boggs. He begins to use his Danites to not only spy on non-Mormons, but Mormons as well. They would get information in the city and go to him and tell him so-and-so said this at this time. Then he could go to so-and-so and claim that God told him that he said this at this time, and that only made his people believe you can talk to God about things that I had private conversations about, which terrified them because they believed if he could do that, then he could probably find out from God their private thoughts. So it only sealed them to him even more. In Nauvoo, he begins a vicious, vicious harassment campaign and slander against anyone who won't sleep with him. Previously, it was somewhat, but now he has completely changed tactics. He gets other people to not only groom his victims for him, But also he's getting people to attack and destroy their character, which is a very malignant narcissist trait. He's charged with all sorts of things. And when people try to extradite him numerous times, he uses his little mob people group to attack them. And he also uses the Nauvoo City Charter. They all usurp power. So it is unconstitutional until he has so much power that anytime somebody gets arrested, they turn around and start to arrest the people who are trying to arrest them. He is later charged with riot after he destroys a printing press, which mostly was talking about his sexual schemes and the fact he had named himself a king and that he was a criminal who was running for presidency, and he also threatened to harm people. He is now seducing and fornicating on a whole nother level in Nauvoo. The man was already plagiarizing a lot of things. Most of the concepts he added in Nauvoo were stolen from his relative, the professor of theology at Dartmouth. He stole views in Kirtland from the Shakers as well, including terms like outer darkness, three levels of heaven, all. That The author of View of the Hebrews and Spaulding, who wrote the Spaulding manuscript, were both students of his relative John Smith, and he was said to plagiarize their work. He stole the temperance movement and called it the Word of Wisdom. The Relief Society was set up like the Masons originally. It was not for every woman. They had to be voted in because he had already joined the Masons, and six weeks later, he had stolen their symbols, their signs, their handshakes, their sacred oaths, vows, obligations, and created his endowment ceremony. And the garments were nothing more than belief about magic. Came from magic books. I wouldn't even claim that this man is a somewhat decent man, let alone a prophet of God. I wouldn't even want this man as a neighbor. I would not want this man with a rap sheet like this anywhere near me, but this is what he was. And his malignant narcissism is split. He's got the evil side, and anyone who obeys and submits to all of his terrible things go on a mission, give me money. Let me sleep with your daughter who's a virgin. They get called saints. But his saints, he enjoys to corrupt them. He enjoys desensitizing them to a point where they see no morals anymore. Murder is acceptable. Perjury is acceptable. Lying is acceptable. These things aren't just acceptable to him. They are demanded and godly ordained. So when malignant narcissists get control of a group, they begin to corrupt their members. And they begin to act in illegal ways. And they also begin to become so enthralled with their leader that they will attack, they will do anything that he wants. When he calls people wicked, Gentiles, wicked, apostates, they're even more wicked. That's because to a malignant narcissist, apostates are the most dangerous people that he could have. Gentiles have insulted him and his god-like self, but they don't know his secrets. Malignant narcissists are destroyed in four ways. Suicide, mass suicide, they go to prison and their career is over, or they get murdered. And it's never... Somebody from the outside who murders them. It's somebody who knows his secrets and knows how he works. And his downfall comes because he is incapable of feeling empathy for anyone. He has destroyed so many lives that he turns his own followers, those closest to him, into his enemies. Naked Truth was a publication by Arthur B. Deming. His father was a corrupt sheriff who worked for the Mormons. He knew the Mormons well when he was a little boy. He used to go sleep at the apostles' houses in Nauvoo. His father got shot when he was young and murdered and when he got older he went to Utah and reconnected with them. He said that Mayor Wells invited him in and that very day or that very stay even though they hadn't seen each other for years he offered him I'll give you both my daughters you can sleep with both of them as wives if you want to stay and be a Mormon. He declined but he did wonder his whole life if his father had not gotten involved with the Mormons would he be dead and so he began to go around and get affidavits and statements from people. A lot of people had died who knew them, but even more he found out were terrified to talk. They were so terrified to talk. And this was in the 1880s. Denning Became quite paranoid. He thought the Mormons were following him, stalking him. He had his documents and statements locked up in a safe in Chicago. It got broken in and robbed. And he had said that he thought he was going to be murdered by them. And then one day he just disappeared. And he never shut up again. And no one was able to ever track him down again. While Denning was in Utah talking to old Mormons, he learned from a few people that John Taylor, who later became a prophet and who was an apostle at the time, and was in the room with Joseph and Hiram, At the Carthage jail, he reminded Brigham Young and told other people that Joseph had looked out the window and saw the approaching mob, whose wives he had demanded should be sealed to him. The prophet said, I am a dead man. And Deming said, the Mormon leaders know this is true. Voorhees was a Mormon and he did participate in the mob. And it said one other, at least, they had both said that Joseph Smith had ruined, taken their sister's virginity. Malignant narcissists become so blinded by their power and because they have no empathy many of their followers begin to hate their leader and he had a history of having people abandon the church kirtland people the majority did not follow missouri a lot of them left nauvoo people said was constantly just filled with people coming but it was constantly filled with people fleeing and they don't see that because they get so used to their power and also because they think that they are really unstoppable joseph smith prophesied numerous times that he would never be taken that he would always come out on top of his enemies and it was just one of the many false prophecies that he had okay i'm gonna wrap this episode up and go into joseph smith's sexual history